0: Ladies and gents, it's season two of our broken of brokenness, our man Luther, DCI Luther. Joining me today, as per the usual, is Sean Shibley.
1: You know, eight episodes in, I'm finally getting used to Idris Elba playing a character with a normal name.
2: And Eric Scott. I'm glad to see Luther finally took some anger management classes during the break.
0: Hmm. Jason Johnson. I am the Sunrise. Woo! And leading this effort and managing our voices is Mr. Devin Higgins.
3: So, when are we playing poker later on after the show?
2: Yes. How's your tail? Is it the corner of your mouth? Hmm.
4: Micro expressions. Uh huh.
5: So when
3: we last left everybody we had wrapped up season one and season two and subsequently season three which we'll get to not too far down uh the bbc decided that they were going to shorten luther up a little bit and give him four episodes a season instead of the original six uh what we're going to focus on for this episode is episodes one and two and then we'll come back and wrap it up with episodes three and four but Guys, since we're a couple of weeks removed from getting through that inaugural season, if you take a second, kind of give me your expectations leading into this season because they didn't give us a whole lot of foreshadowing into what was going to be coming next for our dear, dear pal, John Luther, I
0: thought I pretty much had forgotten everything about this season. And there were the only thing that I remember is probably the opening of this series. But my expectations going into it were completely blank because I had forgotten most of the crimes and things going on, and uh, especially these two storylines that are kind of running in parallel. And I knew John was broken. I knew he was hurt. I just had forgotten how ripped apart he was.
5: Yeah, I had a... uh, I really didn't know what to expect. Um,
1: You know, you don't get a good feeling of time from Luther Season uh, season 1 over what period of time it occurred, but having gone through that uh, ending of the series probably weeks after getting out of a seven-month stint at an inpatient facility due to other traumatic events, I kind of expected him to be screwed up. I did not expect him to be part of the police force. At least not at first.
5: Yeah, yeah, uh,
4: that was my big question going into this was going to be you know, how they put the team back together, right? Because as we left them at the end of season one, you know, there were, the only person left on the team, original Team Luther, was Teller. And so the, the question kind of I had going into it was, how are they going to bring the people back and, and actually make a cohesive show with the main characters again?
2: Yeah, I was, I was expecting to him to at least probably be on the police force because I don't think, you know, Luther Private Eye might be an interesting series, although it might be. But I was glad at least that there were, like, you know, consequences to the actions that happened in last season. But I figured there'd be obviously some new characters because you know, obviously they lost... Kind of most of them from the last season, so there have to be new police officers, new stories, new direction, but they, they kept it, you know, at least so far, pretty good to what you would expect, you know, the same basic premise, just a little different.
5: So something kind of. Uh,
2: how do I put it? You know.
1: When you read the first draft of a novel, like, a novel you really like, and, you, like, the first draft leaks or something, and you read it, and you see, like,
5: everything is the same but different. Okay. Um, so that's how this felt going
1: into this season. Something looked different about it. Like, the way it was shot, maybe they went to digital over film or something, I don't know. But something looked different and the rearranging of the of the squad it kind of felt like
5: notes after a pilot, if that makes sense, like
1: like you could have had the final scene of season one be a pre like a pre like a prelude like the original season had that final solving of their crime, and then go into season two, and that could be the beginning because we're kind of. At the same place, but everything is somehow different.
3: Yeah, it did get that feeling as I went back through season. Two, this is when Neil Cross, I think, took some feedback, got some different ideas. He and both the actors that he has working and the people behind the scenes, especially the director, because Sam Miller, who directed some of my favorite episodes of season one, is back for these two episodes of season two. Uh, and his visual style, as we get to, really kind of gets more evolved from season one to season two. And it kind of starts at, right from the off where we don't start with John. We start with Alex. Alex and, and Shank. Yeah. And we get, in about a five-minute span, we get a bit of a primer on what has come before for anybody who may have forgotten or coming in midstream about what happened in season And I like the fact that that they don't give too much away, but it's interspersed with John in a rundown flat somewhere in London, and he's going about his morning dressed, breakfast, all that stuff, and Alice is recounting to Shank what happened with her, John, and Ian leading up to where she is now, where you don't really get a a really clear understanding of where she is yet yeah. shank who is very much back to his cold analytic self as we saw in on one is just asking her question saying you know what what was your relationship with John and i liked her answer to that which was we were sympathetic but then she goes into more detail about it how did you guys take her because we we hadn't really to this point gotten a whole lot of perspective from her end Aside from their conversations about how she viewed John, how she's explaining it to somebody else, how did you guys take that based on what you know about Alice today? Well, it was
0: like a debrief. I thought if I didn't understand the time change or or distance between season one and season two, I would have thought this was a debrief right after those events, where she's kind of making sure every ribbon has been tied up nicely to keep John out. Of trouble, She's taking all the blame and separating herself uh, from him so that none of this was his idea that he can be a cop again, because obviously Shank was, you know, kind of internal affairs to a degree um, and making
4: sure that he's fit for duty. And that was probably the biggest oddity to me uh starting out while i really enjoyed having alice be the one to to sum up the first season um and looking back i can see where they used her to as most said you know keep keep luther out of trouble i was kind of surprised that of the three of them that were on the roof with ian at the end of the first season uh that she was the one uh who was where she was and um mark and luther were both elsewhere so I
1: found it really interesting that Shank was doing the debriefing. Um, and you can tell he knows
5: something's... He, he's, he's not buying it. Like, he's not buying it. Um, but I kind of get the feeling that he knows
1: something is not true about what's going on, but doesn't know like if Alice is taking too much credit or too little credit.
0: Is it, that, is it that Luther is such a good cop that he doesn't want to lose him and is willing to bend
1: slightly? Well, he's, he, he point-blank says that. I fought hard and dirty to keep you. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, Shank says that point-blank.
5: <laughs> yeah.
2: yeah. yeah well, and, it, and, and, and there was pressure before from last season from higher-ups that, you know, I guess probably didn't like Luther being there at, at that point. You know, with, 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 he kind of looked dirty, smelled dirty. He probably is dirty, but we don't have any proof. But you know, perception was enough. Yeah, since Alice took the fall for everything, they really at this point have nothing, I guess, to really other than circumstantial evidence or hearsay or whatever. So you know, they really, I guess, couldn't really do much to him. Yeah, uh and
3: that is a key point because it doesn't come down to. I mean, do I think Shank believes everything she's saying? No. Do I think he's willing to underestimate her? Either no. But ultimately, it comes down to conjecture over what proven. Also, and if Alice is saying, I'm the one who did all this, I'm the one who shot him, and, and it's because of, of my action that, that everybody's
5: looking at in a certain way, then she will naturally turn him on her, obviously, because of John. Well, also remember that
1: the department already had one dirty cop in this incident. That was, that was embarrassing enough, and a black eye enough. I mean, There could have been a lot of motivation to kind of sweep everything else under the rug and not, like, not have two dirty cops, you know what I mean? Right. And
3: as was pointed out, why she was talking to Shank and not Mark was talking to Shank, they touch on, towards the end of this open, where it's John and Mark in a coffee shop having a cup and playing chess, and I like this brief little interlude between the two of them where not a whole lot is said, but physically, their physical body
5: language seems to convey a whole lot more. Um, What what was your take on that? Um, I think I okay, go ahead. Go ahead, Sean.
1: I was going to say I actually kind of felt that being the truest – like it felt really – Right. Like, these two guys who were adversaries, but they were adversaries for the same reason, that they both loved the same woman. And they both went through her death, and they both know that the other is the only person who really understands exactly what they're feeling.
3: hmm Which is key, because there are two men trying to overcome trauma, and as we saw in the conversation with uh, Allison Shank, what gets interspersed with that is... Point where John sits down on his couch, puts a thirty-eight revolver to his head after he spins it, puts a bullet in the chamber, and Jason mentioned a good point in in the notes on this where there's no hesitation when he pulls that trigger. Mm-mm. He just sits there, takes one breath, pulls it, click, and it doesn't go. Obviously, but you think about how John's frame of mind was in season one, where he found himself in a similar situation with. Somebody who played a game of Russian roulette with him for both of them, and how much Idris Elba was able to convey white knuckle fear and panic and the pure rush of adrenaline when you have somebody with a gun to your head pulling the trigger, waiting to see if the bullet's coming. And in this one, John seems so calm and so ready. Well, and it
0: seems routine. In that, I'm not sure if this is John's first day back. I kind of think it is, but the routineness of how he does it, it's almost as if, you know, I don't... If this day, and correct me if I'm wrong, this seems like the carry these two episodes carry over one day. I don't believe they do, but it seems like no one ever sleeps. But I think it actually carries over two days but I mean it feels like one big day. Like this is yeah, how I start a, the day.
3: There is a day to night transition between the end from the end of this episode and in the next episode. Because we have scenes where they're talking with each other at night and you tell it's night and then so I would say it's maybe two, three days if that decent timetable. Yeah. But yeah, it does get that appearance that sleep is an arbitrary thing for most characters in Luther's world. Yes.
1: Um, yeah, I, just because I was curious, I just did the math. If he had been doing it for three weeks, his probability of not shooting himself is around two percent. So I can't imagine Ooh. it's that long. Uh,
0: wow. I, don't, I don't like
4: those odds. Well, but I, I, yeah, I have to. I, say, I will the definitely th- second that. My takeaway was that the this was not the first time that he'd done that. He was very yeah. comfortable with the process and with the outcome.
2: Yeah, it was kind of like his, his, his morning routine. You know, go have his cup of tea. You know, go put a bullet in the gun, spin it, and but, but this is the one thing that kind of took me out of this episode for like. That c- couple minutes there, I, like, I, I just didn't think that he would be reduced to something like trying to commit suicide or randomly maybe commit suicide today. It just didn't seem like, f- from only knowing him for six episodes, that that yeah. was something he would do. Given what tragedy and stuff happened with him, his friends, his coworkers, yeah, I just didn't. I didn't quite buy it, initially. it.
1: it struck me as completely reasonable though, because I mean, just witnessing the one death being involved in that, that one death with that one criminal really wrecked him and he had even recovered from that and then his wife and his friend his wife is killed by his friend who betrays him and then is killed himself i mean yeah i can see that pushing him well over the edge you know it's funny you mentioned that you know
0: I, like because now i can see both sides and i was looking at the end of episode two and thinking about this john is a cop first and foremost he is a civil servant and It does seem slightly, I can see the out-of-character moment, which is, wait a minute, he's going to be doing a lot of things in these episodes that he doesn't necessarily want to do, but feels compelled to do it because he cares. And maybe this is him not caring and that transition of, I am a cop, I I am going to help people. So it, 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 it is kind of off-putting, especially if you look at it, even on the grand scheme. It's like, wait a minute. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm actually on board with him trying to kill himself uh, and, that, and that feeling of, of emptiness, of think, my life is shambles.
1: Think about it this way. He says time and time again he doesn't want to be a cop anymore. What's the only way Luther is not a cop anymore?
5: What? Death. He know- I mean deep down he knows that if he, he really wants to stop being a cop the only way out to pine box and that's, that's what he's like Right,
3: well, and if you stop and think about it for a second, if you flash back to season one, I mean he's not living with Zoe he's got his own plate, but there was that point in the middle of that season where we see his plate and it's it's not nearly what the habitat that he's occupying what we find him in the start. Of too. Mm-hmm. That place is a pit. You know, yeah. I mean it looks like it's it was one that had been probably abandoned or something that he was able to get on the cheap, but you realize that his vision or his 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 perception of himself is such that he has fallen so low in his own mind that I think, yeah, that idea of maybe I'm gonna pull that trigger and today this day I'm gonna get rid of
0: yeah, I don't deserve I don't deserve comforts. I don't deserve the life that I had and I have to live within this this meager means, this this uh desperateness. It's the depravity. punisher eating
1: cold beans all over again.
3: Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. So in the meantime, while we're wondering what is happening with John, there is a crime committed because he wouldn't have Luther back if there wasn't. Crimes. And this From the initial perspective of it, I was thinking, okay, we're going to have something along the lines of what we saw in season one with Graham the Tabby. But I will give Sam Miller, the director, again, credit on this because the way this crime was introduced, I thought was really well done because you're not sure where it's coming from, where the moment's going to be, but we're following a woman through side streets and whatnot somewhere in London and she'll look around and there's nobody there and then it pans to the front of her and we're kind of looking over her left shoulder and there's nobody there but right behind her camouflaged so well that you don't even see that he's there is a man in
5: a mask and we know what his intention is not too long after when he chokes her in the alley and slips
3: how did you uh, like the introduction of the man who released early on for
0: a Masks are always interesting to me uh, when, you know, they have these kind of crimes. Um, but, you know, maybe it's the setting and my dumb Americanness, but immediately I will go to Jack the Ripper or, uh, you know, these type of, of legends of lore of of heinous crimes done in england i think okay well this is their this is their symbology of a of a a, extremely bad guy it always goes to this i don't know that's just that's what that's immediately what i'm picked up on and it seemed very very uh weak to start out with i was just oh really
1: i agree because in the last season they showed such interesting ways of concealing faces and misdirecting identity and then they had this rubber mask.
4: Mm-hmm. But, as but you go it, lo- it was one of those situations where, I, I think, again, from the American perspective, I, I had to actually go look it up. You know, Mr. Punch was not something that I, that I was familiar with. And so I had to go look that up and then not to, not to jump ahead, but they also reference uh, spring Hill Jack later. And, and that they was another reference one. I was like, Jack well, the Ripper as well. Yeah, I, I think most Americans are more familiar with Jack the Ripper. We can kind of place that one. Yes. Spring Hill Jack and, and Mr. Punch were two, again, very non-American themes that I had to go look up it, to kind of make sure I was is Mr. reading Punch, the episode Is Mr. Punch and Judy? Yes. Uh, yes.
0: That's what I thought. Yeah. Okay, you can't yeah, get away with that on TV anymore.
3: Yeah, and, and the fact that he goes with this old mask of trying to, of using it as the means by which to uh, commit his crime. It's also the proximity of where he does it, because when Luther gets on the scene, the first thing he asks, once he kind of takes a look at, it is, "Do you think he's having a joke?" You know, he has a he chokes this woman, slits her throat, and then leaves her body next to a meat market. He said that's the sort of thing you would do to cattle, or what they used to do mm-hmm. is they would choke them and then slit them. And we get a lot of conversing ideas about what this guy is doing, why he's doing it this way, but the last thing he does is he calls up he grabs the the victim's phone and calls everybody on the contact list and says he is the sunrise and he loves everyone. Which I assume is something either out of the Springfield Jack Lore or something out of Punch Judy, which again, I'm not all that familiar. With. So at this point, we should make sure that you know, what brings Luther back into this is also giving him to get the band back together. Mm-hmm. And who does he go to see first? But he goes and sees D.S. Justin Ripley, who's been knocked down a peg. But I think my favorite part of these first two episodes of season two is that we're going to find out that Justin Ripley, not like he was. In season one. I, season I- How did you guys take the introduction of him back
1: into the fold in this one? I liked it. I liked Ripley throughout this whole episode, like this whole two-episode arc. He's probably my favorite bit of that whole thing.
2: Yeah, I, yeah you know, it he... does show that there are consequences to your actions, and you know, they busted him down to you know, whoever you know desk sergeant there, but then you, know, you can't get redeemed, you can't get, brought, you can't get pulled back up and
4: you know, get back to where you were.
0: And he wasn't uh, ashamed of wearing the uniform.
2: Yeah, he was quite content. It's, Which is okay, in contrast we, to the... That, that's what I'm doing. I'll just yeah. do what I'm doing. I'm still in the force. I still want to be a cop. I'm still going to do cop things and help people, and, you know, that's <laughs> you know how he's progressed. You know.
1: and, and something to point out just about the way British police work as opposed to American police, um, an American police, you know, we kind of assume plainclothes officers are of a higher rank than uniformed officers. And that is not the case in the British police system. It so uh, basically what that's showing is he wasn't reduced in rank, but he was basically reduced in how much trust they put in his decision-making cap- capabilities. Mm. So that was kind of telling.
0: So right. so so by that, so let me just understand this a little bit better. So with Justin working in the essentially the drunk tank, let's just call it. That's what it seemed like anyway, or processing. That is, could be conceived, it's the same level as a detective?
1: Yeah, so like a, a DCI and a CI are the same rank, Like, but they basically just, if you've proven yourself as somebody who has good instincts, good Discretion, uh, investigative powers—they put you in plain clothes, and you're given like more broadly why you're not strictly like an enforcer. So they basically took away his discretionary power and put him on the sh- on the shittiest detail they could. Gotcha.
3: Right, and John points out when he comes in, and and I have to admit the camaraderie between Idris Elba's character and Warren Brown as Ripley is, is evident from the second he walks into that station. And just a You know, because John says, he says, they humiliated you. They bullied you. They did everything they could to force Ripley to get out because they were ashamed of what he did in being loyal to John. And you can see the respect on John's face when he tells him what you didn't leave. He knows he's got a guy who's got his back. And I think from what we can tell, at least early on, this is John's way of repaying Ripley. For doing that and sacrificing fear for him. Which they didn't have to do. Neil Cross didn't have to go this direction with either of them. Could have just been, all right, you good, you good, all right, let's go back to work. But he took the time to kinda give them a little bit more equal footing, where I think John doesn't see Ripley as being beneath him. If anything, Justin is better than John because he still maintains his dignity as police and his ability to be who he is.
2: Right, and as we find out later, you know, Shank's now in charge of everybody. You know, he's now the, the new teller, and so he probably approves the fact that, yeah, John, go get Ripley, bring him back. You know, we want him back on our team.
3: Right, and when... He
4: to him as his comrade-in-arms, right? Yeah. I and mean, they, they bonded. Which so. was a,
3: a playback to season one where they, when Shank was talking with Justin, trying to figure out what was going on at the end, he said, you know, we're comrades at arms Quit fucking with me here and let me figure out what's going on. And as Eric said, Shank is the head of this new unit, which is now known as the Serious and Serial Unit. And he sits down with John and he find out what the fallout was for Ian. And I- that's why Rose Teller is there.
1: By the way, how awesome is it that uh, Stringer Bell is in the Major Crimes Unit?
3: Yeah, that having watched The Wire, that's one now where I'm like, okay. I, I the the irony of that is not lost on me. Ugh, oh, he
0: was such a good character in that too.
1: He was. Oh god, but, the way the way he like when McNulty was in his apartment at the very end. I that was that's one of my favorite scenes in all of television.
3: But Martin lays down the law to John very very clearly to uh, as as Eric alluded to, I fought hard to get back, get you back, John. I fought hard and I fought dirty. And he has three rules no secrets, no agendas, and no Alex Morgan. And you can tell in this conversation that, like Justin and John, there is mutual respect between Shank and John. But only to a certain extent. And, and Jason, you picked up on this.
4: Yeah, he, he obviously, when he responds back, he, he gives it back to him, but he leaves off the Alice Morgan part.
3: So to round out the crew, we also get
4: Benny back. Benny, who is the
3: computer guy. Who is, He's a, a limited character, but obviously he's going to be useful going forward. And we've got a new member on the team, filling in, I guess, the hole left by Ian in D.S. Erin Gray. And she comes in with an edge to her. She feels like... Mose, it it sounds like you didn't like her all that much.
0: Uh, It's not that I don't like her as an actress or anything like that. Don't get me wrong. It's Her character makes me very nervous for John. Because here's the thing. I now don't remember how she plays in at all. But I feel like she could have been Ripley in season one, except for the fact that I feel like at every moment she could turn John in. Like I feel like she's a plant. Like like um, she, you know, she has a conversation with Justin about ha- working with Luther and the n- known or unspoken known of John's slightly dirty how do you get a how do you kind of live with yourself in that regard she challenges john on uh uh, uh, taking mobile phones when uh they they actually find mr punch and so she's constantly uh needling him and it feels like she could go to the higher ups at a moment and just turn the lights out on the entire operation. So she's kind of a force of good uh, for the entire department, but I feel like she also is very clutching her career and is willing to sacrifice loyalty for uh, progression.
1: And I kind of got the similar feeling in that uh, I feel like she's not so much a plant as somebody who's very ambitious, mm -hmm. who sees this as a... She sees this as a place to distinguish herself, but she wouldn't hesitate for a heartbeat to uh, to throw John on the bus to make herself look good.
5: Well, and that's
4: exactly it. She's she's more focused on doing the right thing, but but herself first. Whereas the Luther's to a fault is. The the ends justify the means, and if I have to cross the line to get the job done, I'll cross the line. And Justin's somewhere in the middle. She's to the far end of. I'm not going to put my my job at risk for anything. I don't want to be tarnished like Ripley is.
1: In in a way, her relationship with Luther is like the polar inverse of her relationship with his relationship with Alice. Yes. Right.
3: Yeah, and when. You have a new character who comes in, and the first thing that she asks Justin is, What's it like working for her quote, his satanic majesty? Mm-hmm. That's not a ringing endorsement. I don't care how you spin it. And when Justin defends her or, or defends Luther to her, when she says, You know, is he really dirty as they say? And he says, Who's they? And Gray doesn't have an answer. She's just, they. And Justice is what? You mean the people that never worked with him? Who don't understand him? Who think they know him? And she comes right out and says, you know, I fought really hard to get here just like he had. You know, you know how to work it. Show me the angle. Show me where to, the tricks are. How do I deal with Luther? So whatever I think that he is isn't going to rub off me. And as you said, most impact her career going forward. She is very ambitious and but it does set up a very adversarial relationship as we're going to see at least even in these two episodes.
1: And I had been saying that I see this as a detective Batman show and I'm more seeing this as the Harvey Bullock show. Um where, you know, ends justify the means type cop having to work within the system. Right. And there there is a Machiavellian
3: edge to I think that was that was visible right so now that we've got everybody back working they have to figure out what they can do to stop Mr. Punch and we do get a fair deal of detecting in all this because and again that was a criticism we had in season one where Neil Cross wrote everything where John especially was five to ten minutes ahead of the script in this, he seems like they tone it back a little. I mean, John being John, he's, oh, there's if he's 30 seconds ahead of the script, that's one thing, but put him that far ahead was a little bit too obvious, but I did like how when they were trying to get an idea of who Mr. Punch is and what they're how they're gonna catch him you know, the detective work that started up going into all this, I, I, I had a good feeling about as opposed to some of the stuff we saw in season one uh, how did you guys receive that?
1: Um, especially in the B plot, which I think is far more interesting than the A plot. Um, I-, I felt John behaved in the most un John like ways ever, especially in his response to the uh, mobsters in the B plot. That just made mm. me so frickin' mad.
0: Yeah, we probably do need to bring up the B plot because this is where like those two lines started to get a little blurry for me. Um, I uh, speaking of his detective work, I did like the fact that he got DNA, but whenever you get DNA in a procedural, I, I get a little bit eye rolly because it I, I find that like so everybody's DNA is on file in some capacity and. Obviously, this guy, because Mr. Punch had been did get into trouble before, correct?
2: Yeah. Okay. Yeah, he was so, in prison at some point, so maybe they I don't that's know, right DNA tag you somehow when you go to prison. Yeah, whatever, I guess so. I mean, I guess I, that's I, I, a thing. I, I, I can believe it. You know, at least to get it, you know, through that part of the script, but. right?
0: But I don't think we knew that at the time. But again, if you have DNA, then you can. Put it in the magic tank, and and things pop up, and then you get the name Cameron, our our adversary, Cameron. But let's, you know, let me guide us because I think we if we don't talk about the B plot, we we miss a lot, and it seems like that whole that John was in, involved in a case prior to season one, which is a little bit throwing us a little bit weird because it's like all of a sudden we have a new person come into John's life that we've never met and she was involved or her husband had was involved in a murder and john got him he killed himself in prison but the daughter went high and to the right into a really gross and nasty world of of kind of like hardcore like prostitution or and weird gang banging stuff i forget what they called
3: yeah.
5: it it was yeah, like she
3: she was the the I guess they were talking about how when she started rebelling as a teenager and now that she's 17, which is of legal age in, in the U.K., you're, not, you're an adult before you turn 18, uh, as opposed to in the U.S. So, yeah, she's gone out and started working as a prostitute, gotten into the foreign industry, and her mother, Caroline, comes to John as he's trying to figure out how to get to the punch, and that's where this beeline starts to demarcate
1: I do have to point out, it is a particularly depraved form of, of pornography that she's getting involved in. Oh,
3: yeah. totally! It's it,
0: it's it's real. I think didn't they, they called it necro something? Basically, I mean, they, they
1: were bored. they were gonna they were going to knock her out, make her unconscious, so she could be simulated as a corpse. That's oh, how gross okay. this
0: is. That's okay. how gross this is. Yeah,
1: I mean, it, right. And in fact,
0: this is why you have uh, a guy in your task force that. You know, basically he's the guy that goes into dark web territory to find where this stuff happens and how it gets transmitted.
3: Right. Yeah, and Benny, they allude to the fact that Benny had worked in Vice before. And it's interesting to note that when Caroline comes to John and explains the situation to him, he's not willing to go through with it right away. He turns around and says, you know, I can't. I can't. I'm not... And, and his rationale is look, I've helped I've tried to help people before, and the problem is I've only made it worse. And if you take into account his frame of mind, where we saw him, especially at the beginning of this episode, with the gun in his flat, to trying to I think he's he's rationalizing with himself that the more involved he's gonna get, the more opportunities he's gonna have it come
5: back on him in a way that's not gonna make it any better than where he is. But the reality of what Jenny is about to get into. There's no way that John can't not
0: get it. I, I, and and I, I ap- hate the way they guilt him. Like I don't like John having leverage against him, and especially guilt like that. It's just a, a personal thing for me. I, it's like it works great in a, in a sense for the story that your main character has all these pl- pressure points, but it just it made me so angry. That, that he's getting pulled in and he doesn't want this and knowing what he just woke up to that day it's like guys give this guy a break
4: I kind of bought- well, and the des- decisions made a- didn't make a whole lot of sense as he progressed through that B-plot either because a lot of the things he did just made the leverage against him worse and you kept looking at it going you know he's a smart guy he would know this and yet everything he does he makes yeah. the whole situation that much worse yeah. Yeah. for so, himself
1: so I get that a mom would use
4: whatever she
1: could to help her daughter in this situation, to save her daughter, and, like, you you know, you're the reason her father is dead, you're the reason she's like this, basically, you need to help. I think, you know, like a desperate mother, I kind of buy that. And I kind of, like, I also get that John, you know, wants to walk the straight and narrow. And remember, he says at first, he doesn't say he'll interfere, he says he'll talk to her.
2: Yeah. But she, she probably knows, you know, that he's going to wind up, you know, rescuing her or helping her because that's just the way he is. And she's, you know, basically guilting or guiding him towards, you know, go get my daughter, basically, and bring her back.
3: Right. But he, there's a subtlety to this that I did not pick up on until this time through watching. It. In that he does go and he gets Carol or he gets Jenny, and he does try to talk to her, and eventually he just turns around and realizes that she's not going to go along with it and after leaving goes back essentially kidnaps her under the guise of being a cop saying well she's under arrest hoists her over his shoulder as she's screaming at him Mm. and hauls him hauls her right out of the studio now you fast forward a little bit and there's a, a brief moment where caroline is in her apartment jenny's mom she gets a phone call and that phone call indicates that there was a bigger play at work and it took me going back through this again to realize that Caroline's initial walking into the station to tell him about Jenny was to convince him to set him up to do this just so the people that manipulated Caroline to do that have the means by which to get the guy that is ultimately the one that they're trying to help out oh, out of trouble. It. Yeah.
0: That's the catch. I didn't I didn't catch that now things start to ah. Uh, because ugh. when Yeah,
2: now it's making more sense now. Right. You, you you phrase it like that, yeah. Yeah,
3: now in the meantime we've got this back and forth where John is having to balance this out with another victim happening in the Mr. Punch case. This one is in the middle of a market in somewhere in London at, at a place called Petticoat Lane where she's there taking pictures and she's like a college student and this guy who we don't know yet is Cameron and he's Mr. Punch comes up and starts giving her a brief history lesson on the, on the lore of Petticoat Lane and being
0: out, outwardly creepy.
3: Yes. Very creepy. He's one of those people that as soon as you know that he starts talking, he's trying to impress you trying to get your attention, but he won't stop.
1: Yeah. I felt, I just felt, Like, the minute he started talking, I knew what was going to happen, but I was still just, like, it was really well acted, it was really well put together, and watching it play out really, you know, made me me realize, actually, something, you know, that I've realized a couple times before, that as a six-foot-tall, 200-pound man, I see the world as a very different place. Hmm.
4: Yeah, and, and but it and, also gives us a, a chance to see the um, a, a lot of the insight into mr punch slash Cameron's interests you know while he was you know setting the, the 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 girl up he was also you know you could see his excitement the 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 actor did a great job of getting the excitement of the character forefront for the for the history of the area right that part wasn't an right. act that's that's his that's his thing. And that's, that was kind of a really neat insight that you get into the character that resurfaces later.
3: Right. And when he ultimately kills this girl, who's victim number two, when Luther and everybody else arrive on the scene, Luther gives Grey and Ripley the instructions, because obviously it's a public street, everybody's out there, and in the early or late 2000s, where everybody's got cell phones that can record video now, It's just as much the rage then as it was now. So they definitely were on the right side of the curve as that goes. But Luther tells Grey and Ripley, hey, go get those phones. Because we need whatever information we can. And naturally, Grey pushes back on it. And Ripley's like, you know, I'm telling you what you need to do here. But...
4: Ripley's grown into the character that understands Luther's intention... Because in the first season, he would have been the one questioning it. and So it's kind of neat to see that he's like, no, no, this is really what he meant. Yeah, He's basically the translator now.
3: Right. And when John goes out to address everybody, he sees Cameron looking on. And because he's this creepy guy who, I mean, he sticks out like a sore thumb. And and even when he's standing still. And it doesn't take much. I mean, we can look at it because it's Luther to say, well, naturally he's going to pick up on it. I would think potentially if it was Ripley standing there and he saw him Ripley would go hey that guy's just he just oozes it well just there's something not right about
0: it yeah well and, and it didn't occur to me until just this moment that you know Luther basically says this guy's kind of a showman so he's going to be at the scene of his crime to see how things react how things play out you know, what are the ramifications of the things that he's done? So he wants to bear witness to it. And because and at first I was like, I roll. Oh, boy. You know, the 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 committing, the committer of the crime is going to be at the crime. Come on. But it makes sense now because he is putting on a display. He is putting on a show.
2: Yeah, either directly or indirectly, he wants the attention, the fame, the the, the right. whatever you get, like the, the enjoyment of witnessing people's reactions to what he's done.
0: And oh. and John uses this yet again when Cameron abducts uh, our boy Justin and wants to make connections with the police department to get them involved. And John won't answer the phone, which frustrates the entire crew
1: he's using the same tactic he used with Alice early on in the first episode. Uh, Cameron wants to become part of the mythology of London. He wants immortality. He wants to be, you know, Jack the Ripper, the Man Jack, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Um,
5: And he wants to be, so that would require him being noticed. Right? On a grand scale. Yes. Um, and just like John, when he said, I'll arrest someone else for your crime. He, he, he gets that in a
3: yeah, when he gets the drop on on Ripley, after they've done they more they've done more detective work and they've talked with Cameron's ex wife, and she mentions that he was obsessed with Spring Heel Jack, and Ripley asks if Cameron ever heard her, and you see her face go cold for a minute, and you see the fear really wash over when she says no, but she doesn't say anything else, and Luther asks her why'd you stop, why you know. Why'd you hesitate? And she said, because sometimes it looked like he wanted to. And when he gets the jump on Justin, and that's where these episodes transition, we find out that Justin didn't go quietly. No. You know, we see the car and the windshield's cracked and there's blood in the cabin. And we see the, the strain that that's putting on Justin or on Luther. And Shane sees that where, he asks him, you know, do you think he's alive? And it looks like he put up a fight. And Luther says, Justin's tough, and he knows that. But shank has got to be the voice of reason saying, you know, to having to, to corral him in a much different way that, that Teller did with John in the first season. You know, Teller would quote chapter and verse about the illegality of what he's doing or how bending the rules isn't acceptable. Shank plays the psychological edge of it, of I need you to focus, I need you to be on point and you cannot let your emotions get in the way of this.
1: And if you can't do that, then you have to go home. And I like John eventually like says we have to focus on finding you know the killer. Justin can take care of himself. And that was actually very surprising for me because I expected him to go off like half-cocked and
3: Yeah. We see that evolution of him where in in season one, where he was on the phone with people with Alice or with Zoe and he was throwing phones through windows yeah. and bashing doors and all that. When Cameron calls in and has played the, the audio of him torturing Justin and he does, uses a, a blowtorch to light up the end of a pry bar and and plays that back. And you see everybody in the department just want they all freak and, and-, and Gray goes for the phone and tries to rationalize to John why she wants to pick up, and John flat out slams her down and says, "Don't you dare!" And
1: credit to Idris Elba, like you tell, you can tell, like he he wants to he wants to do it every much bit as much as everyone else. Right? He's every bit as pained. Um, I, th- I feel we should go back to the to the mother daughter story arc because something around now happens that's pretty important. Too. yeah
3: and actually that transitions right into it because he gets a phone call and has to go visit Caroline and when she goes to he goes to her flat and she's not alone and the way this is introduced the kineticness of this threw me off because it's John at the door and there's a oily younger guy standing there and this grizzled old guy that he recognizes as a former cop himself yeah and they just march him right to the table where Caroline's sitting with this older woman. And they don't waste any time. Toby grabs a hammer and a nail and impales John's hand right to the table. Any of you guys see that coming?
0: Negative.
2: No. Nope. I mean, because it makes- the nail part. I-, I thought maybe they'd just like, crush his hand or break his finger or something, but not drive a nail through his palm. Yeah. Be-
1: because it makes no fucking sense. Like, I'm a mob boss. Who's the last cop I'm going to try to corrupt? the one who's on everyone's fucking shit list.
3: But at the same time, even though he's on the shit list, they also know he's a guy who can get things done because he's willing to bend the rules. Yeah,
2: exactly. exactly.
3: So, they make the deal that in order to clear Caroline and Jenny from the predicament that they find themselves in, John has to go and convince a witness that her grandson, the oily bastard who nailed his hand to the table... Uh, they have to convince this witness not to testify against him. And it's got to be done today. And if he doesn't do it, then Caroline and Jenny are dead. So the odds are laid out as clear as a bell.
0: Yeah, I, I do. I want to say one thing, though, uh, in, in the uh, a breaking uh, character type. I was not expecting this woman to be the boss and it was really interesting in the way in which she talked about property uh, and, and, and what needs to be done. I mean, she's a scary person.
1: Yeah, but John just blithely going along with this without some kind of clever countermeasure. Yeah. That, that's, that's what pissed me off. That made. Uh...
2: Or, or he's trying yeah, to that's buy, kind of how or I or approach he's it. I can't to, to, he's trying to buy time to figure out maybe what, what, he, what he
4: could do. because so right then, I like, guess he really can't do anything you know, nailed to a table. Right. But he doesn't. He, 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 he goes right along with it. And never You never see, at least I didn't see, any attempt to, to subvert it, right? He just oh. blithely does what they want.
3: Yeah. And uh, yeah. As an aside, I don't know if any of you guys have ever seen the movie Matilda. But the woman who plays the the uh, the grandmother in this, uh, the woman at the table, she is Miss Trunchbull, the warden of the school that Matilda goes to in the movie Matilda, which is the first time I ever saw her. And she is very imposing in that film because she's an absolute gorgon. So to see her slightly more refined but still having that edge of, I'm not a woman you want to fuck with,
0: yeah.
1: was
3: very evident from the second I walked in and went, oh god, it's her.
1: Yeah, I just...
0: Yeah, unpack your frustration, Sean. I'm right there with you, but I'm not sure I can quite verbalize.
1: Like, okay, I I mean, I have to jump a little bit to the end. Like, they didn't... Like, Luther didn't even put together that they were fucking
5: recording him. Right? Like...
3: uh, I, I can... I can accept that in because I think it was Caroline who was recording him, and if you're distracted by the fact that somebody just put a nail through your hand, I don't think you have the clarity of mind to sit there and go, hey, by the way, why are you holding that
1: phone? Yeah, but in the time it took him to drive to the fucking safe house, he would have put two and two together. I mean, this is – we are – the entire premise of this show is this is a creative, bend-the-rules, really intelligent kind of guy. Yeah. And to literally put up Zero Fight? Like, literally do nothing except exactly what he was told? Yeah. Like, that's... I mean, that just doesn't... It just doesn't make sense. It's like, why are you doing this? Because the script told me to.
0: Is Is this a problem to where, because we're only given four episodes this season, where we should have been allowed the unpacking of potentially eight episodes. Would that have made it better? Would that given have given them more options? I mean, I th- the fact that they basically, Luther can only do this in a day. I mean, that's verbally stated. He's got to do it that day, which again, the frustration part is, okay, he's only given a day. I guess he's got to do it. I, in, in my mind, I can kind of headcanon that, like you can't subvert it like you don't have options. However, you know, he utilizes um Mark to to and to to help this situation out, which again is is a little bit weird. I what does Mark do? I mean, he's like independently wealthy, I don't know, but that that he wants to get involved, but you know, it's like I yeah, I can see the frustration of like how how is it that you just did what they told you, you didn't even try? And it feels like is there another is there a way out of this?
4: Um, is there something we
0: didn't see or something
4: coming? Like, I think you hit on it exactly there, which is that it's a, it's a constraint of how much time they have to tell a story. Yeah. Because you're, you've got two episodes to tell the, a story arc, right? This is a two episode arc of the crime. They've got to get that written and complete. You've got to get everybody reintroduced from the last season. And now you've got to get the B plot to a point they want it to happen to. So, and it's, it's a lot to ask of anybody in that short two episodes.
1: Here's the thing that pisses me off. Again, uh, like, step one, he, she's like, well, I could get a thousand coppers here. And she's like, I'll, I'll be out in eight hours. And, okay, that's eight hours for me to get these two women to a safe
5: house. <laughs> right? Like. I, you, you raise a
1: great point. Like, I mean. Uh, I mean, seriously, he could have said, okay, fine, eight hours is all I fucking need without you on the table. I'll just go and they'll be like in the moors of Scotland.
0: Okay. Here's the other thing that I will say. And if you're watching this on Netflix, um, they show you what's going to happen next week. They give you a little bit of, uh, interludes in between the credits. And I forgot that this keeps going through the rest of the season I thought mm-hmm. it was all over with at the end. Like he oh, did this thing. That was the B plot. However, but they
1: showed the tape. That's like, hi, we still have leverage over you. Right. So now you do whatever we want. Yeah,
2: that, that, that's what brought it back to now. This might be the A plot. the Next two episodes.
0: Exactly. This has always been potentially the A plot.
5: Yeah. So the so only and way... not
3: only do we have the we have this A plot we have this B plot we have the A plot. There's also a C plot underneath this that we still have to get to.
1: So. Um, I just want to say one more thing on this. The only way I'll be sated is if, like, in the finale, it's actually, like, you know, a spy versus spy thing where, like, the department was in on it, and they knew exactly what was going to happen, and uh, they're they're playing the players. That's the only way I'll accept
4: this. You, wanna, you want them to do an Ocean's Eleven on it and come back and show you that it was all... Uh...
1: Yeah.
3: Right. Yeah, I mean... For the time, the timeline for this is a bit shoddy. I will go ahead and grant you that. And the fact that they went with four episodes rather than six or eight meant that they did have to trim the fat on a lot of the story in this second season. And I suspect that as we go to season three, they'll have done the same thing.
1: Oh, and we f- we forgot completely about the apple.
3: Yeah, well, and that's that's the C plot that I was getting to where interspersed with all this Because, as Jason pointed out, um, Shanks' edict to John was no secrets, no agendas, no Alice Morgan. And John agrees to two, but not the third. And while all this is going on, and this is after he has his first run-in with Mr. Punch, where he gets blasted in the face with Mace to blind him, but he gets the DNA sample, which, to your point, Moe, I agree that I like that he did that, but realistically, I was like, wait a minute, how much of a realistic DNA sample can you get from a blood drawn by biting a guy's hand that's in your mouth that has your DNA interspersed with it? I was like, wait a minute, but that, that's more nitpicking, but when, he, when Justin asks him, where is he going, Luther looks at him, he doesn't lie to him, he says, I'm going to the hospital. Yeah. But he goes to a hospital where Alice Morgan is waiting. This conversation and the conversation that comes later, if there is not an ample evidence of the chemistry between Ruth Wilson's Alice and Idris Elba's John, I would say, look at this scene and just, you could, you could feast off of it all day. It's
0: as good as when he and Mark are having a catharsis.
5: Mm Mm-hmm. Um.
1: Yeah, on the DNA thing, you know, I tend to give – that's my standard suspension of disbelief for cop shows because it actually takes three weeks and is almost never used in investigation unless it's a very long-term investigation. And, like, yeah, but whatever. It's their their sonic screwdriver. They can have it.
3: Right. But this conversation with Alice and John is – it seems like a very simple catching up. But you can read the subtext under what they're saying to each other and how John, you know, he's back to work and, and he's helping this girl out. And as soon as he says that, Alice gets defensive. You know, what girl? And John's like, it's just a girl. It's not. Don't go there. And Alice tries to play to his better nature and explain why he needs to leave. And she says it point blank. The People around you are vampires. They'll suck your veins dry, crack open your bones and lick out the marrow. I mean, that if that's not a push to get somebody out the door to a better place, I'm not sure what is.
4: Yeah. And I want to step back for a second and mention that that one thing that, that you see right off when John visits Alice is her hands, her arms bandaged. And uh, she's been you know, trying to kill herself. And so you get a call back again to the opening bit of John's Russian Roulette, both of these characters are not where they want to be. Good catch. For lack of a better way to say it.
3: And when John asks her about it, she glibly says, a permanent solution to a temporary problem.
2: Yeah, and then at the end, of episode two, where she's trying to get him to basically leave the forest, go away, go away with her to, you know, any country that starts with M or, or any other country that, in the alphabet. Yeah. You know, and that was pretty good, too, with them. She's, just, she's like, trying to kiss him. She's finally kissed him. She finally you know, is trying to you know, show her love or whatever, and he's just like, yeah, you have to leave. Uh, yeah, you know,
0: get- let, me, let me just say this. I I'd put in this 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 in the notes at the very end, and it's important, I think, now that we're talking about Alice, because she only comes up in basically a total of two scenes. Uh, he throws the apple that sadly. he's eating. Yeah, very sadly. However, there are some, I will tell you, that are very upset um, <clears throat> that poo poo Luther because she takes on a bigger role coming down the pipe. I don't believe that, but I'll 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 watch it again to to, to make that judgment call. But it was immediately poo pooed, and I was kind of like, uh, hell, whatever. Hell, give
1: the, me the Alice Morgan show. I'll watch I, that all day.
0: I, absolutely. And in fact, they. I mean, in, it, people were saying, oh, well, they partner up, and that's kind of gross, and whatever. I'm just like you know what, just shut up. Just shut up. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of tired of the naysaying. So,
3: well, and they partnered up at the end of season one to get John off the hook for Ian. Exa- and so that's already been established. And, and that's really not, it wasn't bad. In fact, it was pretty terrific. Mm-hmm.
0: So because again, and, shut and up. And if you
3: follow the logic of it, there was no other option for John to go to. Yeah. So it made sense to bring her in in that regard. And in this... She's now acting as caretaker for John, even when she's stuck behind those walls. Going, you know, you've done enough. You need to get out. And she sees the toll that everything has taken on him, which is Im- surprising considering who Alice is. Exactly, and the fact that she's she a doesn't sociopath. Feel anything.
0: Right now, she does. I, I pose this question: Does she love him? Being a sociopath, she really shouldn't be able to. However. I see her more as a seduct- a seductress in that she loves the idea of them being together and is so intoxicating for him but he has this armor on him that he can I mean like anybody else would have fallen for her and fallen for the way in which she talks about things it, but he doesn't and again she says yin and yang we are so far apart yet so close and she I mean, it's like this. She wants him in one way to be happy, and I and I think for him, it, it does he, I, I don't think he, he believes that he deserves any kind of happiness. But she actually, you know, has this caring for him.
1: So, if you think about all the like famous
5: sociopaths, and it's not uncommon for them to be uh, going all the way back to Psycho to be hopelessly,
1: desperately, and completely fixated on a single person. Sure. Okay, no, so think...
0: you're talking about Norman and Mother.
1: Yeah, in that case, okay. but
5: like, um, or, you know,
1: it it's not uncommon to have, like, a a, a hot-button thing that you're protective of, defensive of, you know. It could be a blanket, it could be a horse, it could be a cat. Um, yeah. Rose... <laughs> You know, could be a Death Star. Um, so I kind of buy it. Also, it's not the it's not the platonic kind of love. It is the possessive kind of love that she has. She wants to have him.
3: Right. It's a love established through mutual understanding. John gets her, and whether John ever wants to admit it or not, she gets John. Yeah. And it's the that emotional connection that. Goes beyond the romantic of and, and it's in her explanation to Shank. We were simpatico. We are alike. We are the polar opposites. And yet we are alike in more ways than most people can either see or accept. And she. There is a genuine caring there about John. And I know that John cares about Alice. Otherwise, he wouldn't try and break her out. But. There's also the danger inherent in their relationship, and John sees that, whereas Alice can't. And again, as I alluded to in in season one, everybody's got a soft spot. And Alice's soft spot is she thinks that she can be with John, and that is going to fill that void that is in her personality. And John understands that that can't happen as much as he may want to.
2: Right, because if if, if 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 he if he left with her, that would solve most of his problems with these last two episodes. He would get away from the blackmail from you know porn mm-hmm. grandma, you know he would you know get out of the out of the you know being reminded of you know all his failures and Zoe and all that. And he would be you know be able to get away and get like a normal quote unquote life with you know with a not quite normal person, but still he would get away from all his current issues.
1: If there's one of,
3: thing I've figured out in in so far in season 2 is that Alice John gives Alice
1: purpose. Yes. And Jenny
3: defin- gives John purpose.
1: It's a definite Batman Joker thing except, you know, if you know if they just finally kissed and <laughs> got on with it. Well, and but, there, there it is.
0: John doesn't love her. And that's I mean, that's the frustrating part for her. She would do anything for him and just wants him to love her, but at the end of the day, he loves Zoe.
1: Yeah, it's like that. Uh, really fun, like that. Really great uh, Batman the animated series cartoon in the nineties, where like Joker was robbing a bank and he realized Batman wasn't coming, so he ordered his his minions to put the money back.
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, and and to your point, Moza, I I wouldn't go so far as to say I don't think John doesn't love Alice, but that's tempered by his understanding of Alice. Yeah. Of uh because at the end when they have that conversation in the apartment in his flat when she gets out and she's holding his dad's gun and she's boasting about how, you know, everybody's wily coyote wily coyote and I'm the roadrunner. And then she pleads with him to go with her John says it, you know, I'm, I'm who I am and you are who you are. Yes. But there's not a moment where you look at Idris Elba's face. And again, this plays to the brilliance of how well he plays John and how well he knows John. You just have to look at his face and the way he looks at Alice. And you know the affection is there.
4: And I think that's one of those things where if you could go back and, and things had worked out differently and, and Zoe hadn't had died and he'd been able to get past that, I could see him, you know, coming to love Alice. But now his that that part of his personality is broken. he's still never recovered from that, uh, especially this fresh. And so I don't think he's got the ability to love at this point in his emotional state. Yeah. So it's yes. not that I don't think that he has the capability of loving Alice. It's that he's not able to at this point.
1: I read it a little different in that. It's another thing he wants he's denying himself. it's another form of punishment he wants he wants nothing more than to just not be a cop anymore and go yeah. when he's not letting himself have it because he doesn't feel he deserves it i I actually feel like that was a form of self punishment, not a form of uh self control I can see yeah. that and I,
3: yeah I, and and to both you and and Jason's point, i mean yeah, you're right on there i mean and and not to not to get on on like armchair shrink on this but you know for myself it was it was one where like i haven't i've been in a relationship in seven years and i have people all the time asking me like you know why don't you go get a girlfriend and people don't understand the idea of my the way my psyche works now it's not something i can rationalize doing and and for a myriad of reasons so when i see john doing this and explaining to himself why he can't be with Alice and why he thinks he needs to punish himself for it. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's plain as day for me and being able to see that, but you know, I'm anybody want to place a bet on what it is that, uh, Alice whispers in John's ear before she goes out the door
5: Mm. because we don't
3: get it. And I was playing the subtitles to make sure to see if there was anything there. There's nothing there. So we have a bit of a lost in translation moment where anybody want to make a guess.
0: Uh, maybe, uh, jumping on Sean a little bit. Exact opposite,
2: which would be you'll come soon enough.
3: Eric, Jason, want a place to place a bet? Yeah,
2: we'll probably, probably, like you know, see you soon, or you know, you'll you'll need me, or something like
4: that. Yeah, I've been burned. I'll wait and see what, what actually happens. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, but if you see, but Jason, if you say it, then we know
4: the exact opposite will happen. Ouch. <laughs> Oh, I, I found my place. Gotcha. Thanks. Well,
0: no, but okay. that's but that's what we need. We need your Rosetta Stone, and we just flip it
1: over, and then we got it. So, where we, we need is Costanza. Yes. Yes.
3: Oh. <laughs> okay. Well, I'll let you off the hook on this one, Jason. But I can't guarantee that won't happen again down the road. So, in the meantime, uh. we do have to wrap up the A plot here because last we left Justin, he is in a bind, literally, and. I was thinking about this in regards to. I mean, I give full credit to the idea of Justin being so stuck that he. I mean, because he he's got a, a he's got a rope around his neck, and he's having having to stand there, knowing that if his legs give out, he's going to hang himself. Yeah, and it plays very much to again Justin's toughness and fortitude to keep himself going and from not giving in on it. And in the meantime, he's trying to get to Cameron and figure out what his big play is by not being the gung ho guy thinking, you know, well, you're not going to beat me or whatnot. He's playing to, he recognizes Cameron for the sort of personality he is in wanting the glory of saying, I did this, I got away with it. And then I disappeared and plays to that. Um, but for a while, I was I wasn't sure if he was going to be able to get out of this or not. What did you take out of it?
2: Yeah, I mean, I, well, I, I thought he was dead after the end of the first episode, but so I was surprised when he wasn't. But yeah, to what Luther had said, I think when their the phone call was happening, it's like you know if, if if he figures out what this guy's about and how he works, he'll be fine. You know, he'll he'll be okay. And it turns out he he kind of played him too, and you know, even, even though he shoved the bag over his head at the end, he, the guy's like you know, don't panic, and he you know. Didn't, but he he did eventually get his way out of it. So he he did keep us cool, and he did figure him out. And you know, it just shows the progression of of Ripley.
1: And I actually did have a sense of peril because after they summarily killed Zoe, you know that really does like it. It takes the concept of plot armor and throws it out the window.
0: Yeah, you. I thought when the when the bag went on his head, you know, panic or no panic, you're 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 now on a timeline.
3: Oh, totally.
4: Yeah, this show's had no problem going through and killing main characters. So, aside from Luther, I just go into every scene assuming somebody's going to die yeah. and we'll see what happens. <laughs> and
1: think about it, it would have been another thing on Luther's soul because Luther said he could take care of himself and
3: Yeah. And and with everything that you know he's gone through to this point, it's it's plot armor or not, at some point a person's going to give. And you figure okay he's been burned he's been left there to hang and now he's got a bag over his head and you know the clock's ticking eventually unless he finds a way to get out of it somehow this is it for Justin Ripley um, when he gets out though and Luther comes and gets him the look on John's face again again it all plays the body language and the understanding the relationship that these characters have formed over the ensuing six episodes and now these two Where all he has to do is get out of the car and just look at him and just go, mate. And you know, it's like, yeah, you can see what would have happened if Luther had had to go find him and find a dead body. You know, that relationship is so solid now. And I I, got to say, I was
0: more interested in that than I was the conclusion of Cameron when we get into a convoluted, he got self-financed. To get a bus and th- and and take children to a place, and they figure out where that place is, and that gets wrapped up, and he was going to put them in two containers, hide them forever, and they would have disappeared. That fell deaf on me. I didn't care.
1: I did love uh, when. Well, first of all, I loved just the. Again, Native Selby's acting when he said "mate" when it's like this combination of pride and joy and like you know he's simultaneously proud of and you know happier for uh, Ripley. And uh, I think uh, it doesn't. I I think we can kind of skip over the actual plot. Nation's script says Cameron gets cornered, and when like Ripley looks at uh, John and John's like, "Nope, this is on. This is yours."
0: <laughs> yeah.
3: Yeah, and, and and the fact that. He had, he had Justin hide in the car because he didn't want Cameron to know that he got him, and that Justin had gotten away. When he goes through the fence, he says, "Get down! But don't let him see you." And I, I do like in how this is, that a line is resolved about how when Luther gets there and he's not talking to Justin yep. or he's not talking to Cameron, he's talking to the kid that Cameron's got with a knife through his throat and doing his best to make him feel like that cameron doesn't exist and how cameron is he can't fathom this because in his mind he's made such a legend for himself that he thinks he's going to go down in history like spring jack like jack the ripper and now he's got this guy who's standing there going i'm not talking to you who you don't exist to me i'm talking to this kid and you see how that is just breaking cameron down Even as John goes to the van and gets the kids out and he's screaming, I'm going, look, I'm going to kill people. I'm going to keep doing this. You know who I am. And Justin's standing there and he goes, nobody's listening. And then
2: cold cocks.
4: Was there a thing about the mask? mask, mask, And once he 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 lost lost the mask, mask, he couldn't go through through with any violence because he was was hiding hiding behind the mask. mask.
2: Yeah, he said it was easier to to Ripley. It was easier to kill people with the mask on or something like that.
3: And when the kid rips it off his face, it was the same thing he said to John at the beginning. Don't ruin it. And, and everybody right, is right. messing up his grand plan.
1: And uh, when the kid gets away from him, and he like just kind of has this, who am I kidding slouch?
3: Yeah. And, and because he knows he's beaten. Because at this point, there's no way that he can get what he wants, which is immortality. He's narcissistic enough, but not in the same way that Alice is, of thinking this was going to make me known to everybody. And he ends up just getting punched in the face. And as soon as he hits the ground, it's like he shrivels. And, and I did like that point where Justin looks at Luther and says, you and Luther goes, no, man, that is all you. And it's that recognition of buddy. This guy put you through hell. You take the collar on it. It's, I don't care about that. You've earned that. And then some, um, so we do have one quick thing to wrap up, which is how, which is the B-plot, because we've had Cameron is in custody. Alice Morgan is now gone for the time being. Right. But when John left Jenny, he left, him, he left her back with his mother, Caroline. And Caroline is trying to explain to John about how, well, you know, you're going to have to – or John tries to tell Caroline, look, you need to take Jenny. You need to get out. That conversation that you thought they should have had before they had the encounter with uh, Granny and and the hammer in the hand, um, they're having it now, and Caroline's not budging, and Jenny's trying to t- convince her to go, and she even looks at John and says, "You know, arrest them, do what you you know, you're a cop, arrest them." And he says, "I can't, because they got me over a barrel because you helped them do that." Yeah. So and because. Zoe's gone. He has no family. He has no real friends. He's like, it doesn't matter what happens to me. They can kill me anytime they want, and that's fine. But they're instead going to hurt you, and they're going to hurt your daughter. So if you're smart, get the hell out of here. And he leaves Jenny there, and Jenny's pleading with him not to. But then he goes back, and I love how the way it was shot, where she looks out the window, and he's standing there, and he's waving her down. And he walks her for a second and then he just puts his head back and just, John,
0: Yeah, uh, and this is, what this are is, you doing? Yeah, and, and see, this is where I, I saw, like, because prior to that, he has the conversation with Alice and through and through, as much as he doesn't want to, he is a cop and he wants to help people. And so, you know, he cannot just seclude himself. So she take he takes her on
2: and now she's living at his place. Which probably, which, which probably means hopefully he won't do any more Russian roulette in the morning.
3: Right. Well, and there was one key sentence where, where Alice asked him. She goes, well, who is she again? And John says, there's no – it's not like that. And Alice says, good, because if it was, then maybe I'd understand it. But you're right, Moe. John is John. And no matter what he tells himself and no matter where he is at this point in his life, that is who he's going to be. And he understands that if, if Caroline is not going to do something to help Jenny out, then somebody has to. And if he's got to bear the slings and arrows for doing that, then he'll do it because he's got nothing else. And Jenny gives him purpose. It gives him a reason not to get up every morning and do that spin of the gun and go, maybe this is it.
1: And all credit, again, to Idris Elber's acting. Like when he says, I'll get you a bed tomorrow, all right? Just the utter exhaustion. Like, yeah. Like you could like not like you know what I mean? Like you could tell that this person was emotionally, mentally, physically just Gone. Had, had, Yeah, he had nothing left to give.
3: Yeah. And the fact that the we end this we end this episode with Jenny making a cup of tea in the kitchen and complaining about the state of the teapot and she looks through the little cubbyhole window and there's John out on the couch. And it's not he didn't even take his pea coat off. And that he's just curled up in a ball like a little kid and he's just out
0: and he was going to sleep on the bed
3: yeah and she was going to sleep on the couch but he is so to Sean's point he is so overly and utterly spent that that was the last bit of energy he had at least for that day of okay I've done all this stuff in two three four days and I'm done for a while Take the phone off the hook. Call me later because I am done. So really quick, because I know we've run over on this, but just kind of give me if you can wrap up your final thoughts on on these first two episodes of season two. We've got two more to go in this season. Kind of give me your idea of where you're what you're like and where we're at now. And what do you think is going to happen next?
0: I'm very curious on how uh, this B plot now extends to the A plot and our cast of characters. The guy who knocked in the uh, nail to Luther's hand seems to be, going to, going forward, the main bad guy, it seems. Uh, I can't remember for the life of me what he's all about, but obviously he has uh, very little um, conscience. And I would love to see uh, Alice come back again and put a needle in his ear.
1: Yeah. That's my thing. Alice is going to be the resolution to John's mob problem.
3: Okay, Jason, Eric, your thoughts?
2: Uh, I mean, I, I like where it's the show's gone so far. You know, it shows the evolution of the characters since last season. You know, they're growing, they're evolving. Um, I, I like you know the the two stories or three stories in these two episodes. Yeah, now we're going to flip the the B plot to the A plot, and we'll see how you know Luther gets out of you know getting blackmailed into doing you know who knows what for these people. So yeah, I don't. I'm assuming Alice has to come back and do something cause, so I, I guess I'll go with the Sean point of yeah she's gonna you know once again take care of Lucy's problems by probably you know killing you know Toby and his, his grandma or
4: whatever at the end and you know, we'll we'll see. All right, and Jason, yeah, I'm not I'll, gonna
3: let you get out of your Castanza role on this one. You got to give me something.
4: All right. Well, I'll, I'll second what Mo said earlier. With it is that with the exception of the um, quick weird resolution crime at the end of the the a plot, I really. The A-plot was my favorite part of these two series versus the B-plot. The B-plot was kind of... I wasn't really into it, so I'm hoping that they kind of expand on it now that they've got more time to focus on it for the next couple um, episodes and can build that up. But since my favorite part of this show is usually when Alice is interacting, I'll say that I'm looking forward to her coming back and uh, seeing how she interacts with the... Uh, resolution of that B plot and hopefully making it more interesting than it was in the first two episodes for me.
3: Okay. Well then the dies have been placed and we've got two more episodes to go. So when we reconvene and reopen this case book in a couple weeks, we will find out who's right, who's wrong and what's going to happen with John Luther and, and Jenny and everything that we've got to go through. So with that, we'll close this case book up for now. I will thank everybody who has taken part here and, Jason Johnson, Sean Shibley, Eric Scott, and Phil Moselak. Be sure to drop us a line at the TV podcast on Twitter and everything. If you've got suggestions for us, things you want to hear, ideas, whatnot, and we will talk at you in a couple of weeks. Thanks. Bye. It's unfortunate
5: that when we feel a star,